Welcome to the Anti-Diet Life Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Horton, your go-to anti-diet health coach and certified intuitive eating counselor. Get ready to give diet culture the middle finger and dive into conversations about intuitive eating, body acceptance, self-love, and what it really means to pursue health at any size. We're all about taking a weight-neutral approach to health, one that prioritizes your overall well-being over the number on the scale. So we're here to arm you with the tools that you need to dodge the toxic diet mentality and never get sucked back into it. Let's explore what it truly means to live the anti-diet life. For more tools and community support, join the Anti-Diet Health Club at www.antidiethealthclub.com. Right. Welcome to another episode of The Anti-Diet Life. I'm Leah Horton, your host, and I'm really excited for today's conversation. I feel like that I say that every time, but I'm really, really excited today because we have a registered dietitian on. Um, her name is Laurel Kimberly, and she is the diet-free diabetes Instagram person, my go-to resource for all things uh, diabetes management without falling into the trap of restrictive dieting. Um, I send your stuff to everybody. If I have clients that are diabetic, I make sure they're following you. So I'm really a little bit fangirling about having you on today and having a conversation about how to manage diabetes in a way that's actually sustainable and not forcing you to ditch your favorite foods. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here and just to dive into this topic. I think a lot of people need to hear about it. Absolutely. And I love like how like you've really narrowed in on like specifically diabetes management with this non-diet approach. Um, and your messaging is is so clear. I think that one of the hardest things I have heard from people about like maybe they're interested in intuitive eating or taking a non-diet approach is like, how do I navigate health conditions while practicing intuitive eating and like balancing the two? Things. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there around how that you have to like cut carbs and do all these crazy things to manage diabetes. So I'm really excited to get into kind of debunking some of those today. Yes, there are so many misconceptions and myths out there that we need to debunk. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common ones that you tend to hear? Yeah, so um, I think the number one thing that people think needs to happen after they get a diabetes diagnosis, especially a type two diagnosis, is that they have to lose weight and that weight loss is what caused their condition. And it's it's just not true. Um, We're really seeing in the research that weight loss kind of comes before that, I'm sorry, weight gain comes before that diagnosis. And that's because of insulin resistance. And so saying that it's the cause is just incorrect. um, When really we're looking at the science and it's like, no, this is a symptom rather than a cause. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you're trying to manage it simply by losing weight, you're just addressing a symptom, not necessarily the root cause of like what may have triggered it to begin with. Exactly. And we know, I'm sure everyone listening, how harmful just going on a diet to lose weight can be mm-hmm. and how it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of times exacerbate some of those problems. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I think, I think a lot of people like fall into this like shame trap and like blaming themselves 
if they end up with diabetes because maybe they have put on some weight. But I just like to remind people that like there are people in large bodies that don't have diabetes (laughs) and there are people in small bodies that do have diabetes. And so like it's really not just like weight that's even a factor when we're looking at what does cause or help manage diabetes. 1000%. Like health is so complex and just to narrow it down to this one thing is is wrong. Someone can be diagnosed with diabetes, like you're saying, at any size, any age, uh, having any type of lifestyle, um, having a family history or not having a family history. There's just so many different things that goes into this. And just to say like, hey, you, you caused this because of something you've done with your body uh, is just, it's, it's inaccurate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately I don't think like all of our healthcare professionals have really caught up to that. And some of them are still really kind of operating off of that older knowledge that, or lack of knowledge that we had around diabetes where they're going in, you know, they're saying, okay, yeah, your blood work's showing that you're diabetic. You need to lose weight and cut carbs and, exercise more and then they kind of send them on their way without really giving tips or suggestions that are actually effective long-term, right? Right. And a lot of times that advice can be more harmful than helpful. Um, It's causing a lot of stress on someone's relationship with their food and body, but also when we start one of those low-carb diets or any of these restrictive diets, they're more likely to fail, right? 90 to 97% of diets are going to fail. And a lot of times that leads to um, weight cycling where we're gaining and losing those same pounds over and over again. And that is going to actually increase insulin resistance. And so sometimes people are really worse off by following their doctor's recommendations of losing weight and going on a low carb diet. Um, if they would have gotten some more practical advice or even just the advice of like, Hey, go talk to a dietitian <laughs> would have uh, definitely helped mm-hmm. much more. Yeah. I think a lot of people's minds are kind of blown when they finally like learn that maintaining a higher weight that is like level is actually healthier than the yo-yo and the up and down. Like it's so stressful on your body and it messes with all of these different systems in your body. Mm-hmm. And so that's like why just focusing on the scale for managing something like diabetes is really harmful long-term. Yes. And in, in diabetes and so many other conditions. Mm-hmm. And so really promoting dieting is promoting that yo-yoing, which is not good for health. Mm -hmm. Do you have any suggestions on how to navigate that conversation if you do have, like, say you're just somebody that has diabetes or was recently diagnosed or even like pre-diabetic that is getting advice from their medical team that is focused on weight management and restrictive dieting? It is a really hard conversation to navigate. Um, you're, there are a few different ways you can go about it. I've had some clients in the past just write their providers a letter <laughs> and say like, hey, these conversations are really harmful. I've had issues in the past, either with dieting or d- disordered eating and really explaining those things uh, can be helpful. Um, just being blunt and being like, hey, Uh, How would you treat this condition for someone in a different sized body? Um, I didn't come here for diet advice. 
who can you refer me to uh, that can help? Um, can you provide me any studies that show that <laughs> this is actually going to be helpful? So there's, it's definitely a hard conversation to have and going to the doctor is just, it could be a really stressful situation depending on how that relationship is. So definitely have a lot of compassion towards those people who are going and having those conversations. Yeah. And if you're somebody that is like, some people just do not do well with like actually confronting like their, their doctor. Like we have this idea that they're an authority figure and that they know best and we just need to like do what they say. But the reality is, is that they're humans and they're fallible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're one of those people that has a hard time advocating for yourself and you kind of know in your heart that going down a restrictive path is not helpful for you. I also encourage you to like bring in somebody with you to your doctor's appointment that can help advocate for yourself. If you're just one of those people that you're, you can't, (laughs) you can't do it. Um, Bring in a partner, bring in a friend, bring in somebody that can help you have that conversation and help you feel safer in advocating for yourself for sure. I love that. I think that is a great idea just to have some support with you. You have autonomy over your body. You get to decide what happens at the end of the day and not letting these doctors pressure you into something that you know isn't going to be helpful. Yeah. And you're allowed to go get a second opinion, <laughs> try a different exactly. doctor. You're you're not married to your doctor just because there may be somebody you've been seeing for a long time or something. Um, you know, there are some directories online for finding a health at every size aligned uh, practitioner that will take a weight neutral approach to healthcare. So if you're, you know, looking for somebody else that you know will take that approach, I highly suggest seeking those out. And if you have somebody that is, um, you know, a, a doctor that is really continuing to push it and you've done these things where you've asked like, what care would you provide um, for somebody in a smaller body? Uh, one of the things I had somebody, uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was like, ask them to note it in their chart that they're declining to provide you with um, other alternative care options. And then like, they'll kind of immediately be like, oh, I don't want to like admit in the chart that I'm only giving you this one option, right? So they'll like start bringing other things up because it's like an ego thing, right? Like doctors just don't want to like admit that they're only offering one solution. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting if, if you're really feeling sassy and confrontational with your your doctor. <laughs> yes, I haven't heard of that one, but I, I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the, of the things I really want to talk about when we're talking about misconceptions around managing diabetes and what causes diabetes is, you know, villainizing sugar and carbs as like the maybe a contributing factor to what caused it. Um, and then also that in order to manage it, you have to drastically reduce or monitor your carb intake. Um, what is your approach that you you take with managing diabetes without being overly restrictive? Yeah, we need carbs. We need carbs consistently throughout the day. Um, The brain alone needs 130 grams of carbohydrates. So that's just like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we likely need a lot more than that. And that can be shocking for someone who may have been doing a low carb diet for a long time. Um, body needs carbohydrates to function. And a lot of times our blood sugar can actually raise if we're not 
getting enough carbohydrates. Her body has different uh, survival mechanisms in place when we're not getting the nutrients it needs. And it can um, cause some stress to the system, which can cause the blood sugar to rise. Uh, when we don't have enough carbohydrates in our system, it's going to cause us to crave more carbohydrates and get us into that binge restrict cycle, which isn't great for our blood sugar. Uh, the body can actually produce its own like sugar glucose. But when it does that, it does it, um, it raises it a little bit too much. It's just not sure when that next meal is going to come, when it's going to get carbohydrates again. So it's going to produce extra sugar or glucose to make sure that you're going to be okay. Uh, if there was, if you're in a situation where you had to run away really fast, or you had to um, use up that glucose, it wants to make sure that your body is going to be safe. And so it'll yeah, produce it on its own, but and a lot of times it's doing that and it's uh, at an unnecessarily high way. <laughs> mm -hmm. So a lot of things that we can do to help the blood sugar is by having carbohydrates throughout the day, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is kind of surprising for people. Mm -hmm. And and I know that there's, you know, a lot of nuance to this conversation, but, you know, I think from what I've heard, I'm not a diabetic specialist, but, you know, taking in some of the nutrition principles from intuitive eating is that it's more important about like what you're eating with it than like eating the carb by itself. Is that accurate? So uh, there are some different techniques that you can use, like pairing carbohydrates with fat, fiber or protein can be helpful. Um this can be a great thing to do if we're feeling comfortable, but sometimes that can feel like a restriction in and of itself. If you're really early in on your recovery or really new to eating intuitively, um, just the fact of quitting dieting is just going to be so helpful for your body. So I, I encourage you to work with a dietitian to figure out what the best route is going to be. But yeah, there are some different techniques where we need carbohydrates and we don't want them to spike the blood sugar too much. Um, and we can do that some different ways, like, yeah, pairing our carbohydrates with different foods. Mm -hmm. You had a post on Instagram. I don't remember how long ago, but it was something about like all of these nutrients and it's like, they're in a potato. <laughs> and I feel like potatoes are like one of the things that is often villainized. And it's like, oh, it's just straight carbs, but there's so many other like nutrients in it. And like, yes, you can have potatoes in your diet on a regular basis and still be healthy or like health promoting mm -hmm. while eating a white potato. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's so many good things you're missing out on if you're not enjoying carbohydrates, like all those different nutrients. Mm -hmm. And diabetes management doesn't have to just be about food. If we don't feel like focusing on the food portion of it, we can focus on our sleep habits, how we're managing stress, um, how we're moving our bodies, staying hydrated. Those types of things can be really, really beneficial for the blood sugar. And just focusing on food, you're missing out on all of these other pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I think that like our culture does hyperfixate on food being the answer to all of our problems and the reality is is that it's it's not and there are these things like getting enough good quality sleep that 
are often missed in our, well, like when we're looking at our health habits, we just get this, like uh, the blinders on and just thinking about diet and exercise, diet and exercise, that's all it is. But there are all these other factors that have actually more scientific evidence proving that they have a bigger impact on your overall health long-term than things like the the following a diet or like a workout plan that you can't actually like sustain long-term, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. And I don't know about you, but in my dieting days, it's really hard to sleep when you're hungry. <laughs> and so just by getting your body some some food, it's going to help with all of those other things as well. Well, and I used to work out so hard because like I, that was my my dieting thing was like I was an over-exerciser for sure to like, quote unquote, earn my calories back, which is just terrible. Don't, don't do that. But I would be so sore that I wouldn't sleep well because I was pushing myself so much. And I was like, I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning to get my workout in, right? And so that's like cutting into my sleep as well. Like, and under eating, so not getting the proper nourishment to begin with, it was just a recipe for disaster. Like there was, there was nothing healthy about it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and if someone was doing all of that with diabetes, we would just see their numbers going up and up, even though they're feeling like they're doing all of the things to help, which can be so so frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what would you say is probably like? like the two most important things that somebody should be focusing on if they have diabetes or like recent think recently diagnosed or maybe have pre-diabetes? Yeah, I think the number one most important thing is healing our relationship with food. At the end of the day, if we have if we ha- don't have that in place, it's going to be a lot harder to do so many other things and really just that act of quitting dieting as we've been talking about can be really, really beneficial. So like going on that journey to like heal your relationship with food is definitely the most important. And then seeking out some support, I think is really important, especially from uh, either a community or a practitioner that you feel comfortable with. It's, there's just so much information out there and really having someone that you can talk to about it really goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's great because um, that's also going to contribute to your mental health and reducing stress and all of that as well. And there's so much fear mongering in our society around diabetes or getting diabetes or like, you know, now like the, the pre-diabetes and insulin resistance is big buzzwords. And I swear I like had hardly ever heard those when I was younger. I don't know if it's just like a new thing that they've now labeled, but I haven't, I hadn't heard of it. And now I feel like I hear it everywhere. Um, so if somebody has been diagnosed with just like prediabetes or insulin resistance, what is the likelihood that that will actually progress into diabetes? And should it be managed the same way that diabetes should be? Yeah. So prediabetes is a big topic for sure. So I think it's helpful to understand that the parameters for prediabetes are different in the United States as they are in the rest of the entire world. <laughs> so in the United States, your A1C, your hemoglobin A1C is one of those numbers your doctor is going to talk about. It, you are considered pre in that prediabetes range when it's at 5.7. 
the rest of the world is at 6.0. <laughs> so if you're in between that range, just know, hey, if you lived in London, <laughs> it would be different. Um, and the there is like such a small percentage each year of people who do go from that pre-diabetes range, that U.S. defined pre-diabetes range to um, diabetic. So I think it's about 2% of people per year will go from pre-diabetes to diabetes. And let's say in five years, that's like less than 10% of people. And again, health is complex. So if you are one of those people that it does progress, hey, that's okay. It's not because you've done anything wrong. Our bodies can, sometimes it just happens. And that's important to know. But I think it's also important to know that like, hey, your doctor could be sitting here when you're at a 5.7, really scaring you into starting a diet or losing weight. And that can get us probably further away from the, the goal of health at the end of the day. Mm, that's so interesting. I had no idea that there was like a difference in other countries having like a benchmark for what constitutes pre-diabetes. This is probably getting like way off topic, but do you know why it's different in the U.S. or have suspicions on why it may be different? <laughs> so there, there's a few different schools of thought. <laughs> um, one thought is that you can have more time to put in different lifestyle changes um, to prevent that from happening, from, from it progressing to diabetes. Um, it also means that they can start prescribing different medications <laughs> and at an earlier time. And some that could be a, a good or a bad thing, depending on how you're looking at it. So there could be, um, I don't know, different motivations <laughs> for it being making that change in that diagnosis range. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that statistic that only 2% progress. I think that, you know, if somebody's listening that has pre-diabetes and has experienced kind of like that fear of it progressing, like hopefully that kind of puts you at ease a little bit, like still do the things that are going to like promote a healthy lifestyle for you, but you don't have to be, you know, taking drastic measures just, you know, and that's, I think what this is, the whole thing around managing diabetes is that taking drastic measures isn't sustainable and it's not the most beneficial thing long-term. Yes. Yes. No drastic measures. When someone comes to work with me and they're in that like very early pre-diabetes range, a lot of the work is just like reducing the stress around this possible progression of the, the diet of having diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just so much fear mongering like we're talking about and it's, it's just not helpful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can you touch like just super briefly on like insulin resistance specifically, like what that means and then like how that may or may not progress in people? Yeah, that's a great question. So if we are looking at our cell in our blood, um, there's a door to that cell and we have a key that we need to open that door. So insulin is the key that's going to open the door. That's going to allow the sugar, the glucose to go into the cell and be utilized 
through our body to help our body function, to give us energy. When it comes to insulin resistance, it's like we have a bunch of keys, but they just don't quite fit into the lock. And so the body can produce kind of more and more insulin. And sometimes that causes us to have high insulin levels, um, trying to just get that key that's going to fit into that lock. And so when we're working on lowering the blood sugar, the goal is to lower that insulin resistance or making those cells more sensitive to the insulin, making those keys fit a little bit better. Um, and that is, I think, the best analogy <laughs> to use when it comes to, to insulin resistance. That's a great analogy. I've never heard it kind of explained that way. And it's like really easy to kind of like visualize and, and understand. I think that sometimes people just like a lot of the fear comes from not really understanding like the mechanics of what's happening um, and just that not really knowing and understanding they jump to conclusions on like, oh, it's it's what I'm eating. It's the sugar. It's the the whatever habits. And so like understanding the mechanics of it can be really helpful. I mean, at least for me, I'm, but I'm, I tend to be that kind of uh, science minded type A, like <laughs> I, I got to I got to know what's going on for me to really know how to navigate this. Right. <laughs> yes, and I'm the same way, but I do think it's really helpful because a lot of people don't get that, those explanations and really just understanding what's going on in the body can be so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have like on your website, um, a video on some tips on how to lower your A1C without dieting without the crazy restrictive measures. Yeah. Yes. I encourage everybody to check it out. It's free to download and you'll get on a great newsletter with a lot of other tips and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes. And if you are somebody that is dealing with diabetes or you have a loved one that is trying to navigate diabetes, I highly encourage you to uh, at least follow your Instagram, which I swear it's my favorite. Like I, I, your stuff somehow pops up in my feed every single time and I love it. And, um, I encourage you to to follow that just for little little nuggets um, of information and how to navigate this and not get sucked into that diety type of mentality with it. Um, Laurel, thanks so much for popping in. Do you have any other closing words or uh, advice for our listeners? Um, I think you've covered a lot. <laughs> We've talked about a lot. Thank you so, so much for uh, having me here. It's been so much fun chatting and yeah, come hang out with me on Instagram at diet free diabetes and uh, yeah, I'm always here. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Anti-Diet Life podcast. If you have questions, feedback, or something that really resonated with you from today's episode, I would love to hear from you. Connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at Anti-Diet Health Coach. Your insights and experiences are incredibly valuable and they could shape our future episodes. If you liked what you heard today, we also appreciate you sharing, liking, and subscribing to help us reach more listeners just like you. Remember, your voice matters in this movement towards a more balanced diet neutral approach to wellness. So reach out, share your thoughts. Let's keep this conversation going. Until next time, stay liberated, stay healthy, and keep living the anti-diet life.